Fellas, say goodbye to Chuck Sherman the boy. I am now a man. I highly recommend you join the club. We are doing the wild thing all night. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Sherman. Sherman, I could build this food. Is that all you gonna eat? General Sherman realized and understood the importance of house music. So, do you know anything about techno? No. Listen. You didn't know. Hey, hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to another brand new episode of Sherm in the Booth. I'm, of course, your host, Sherm. Today is Wednesday, July 15th, 2020. This is episode 118-118. I am so excited about this episode, guys. It features French-Canadian DJ producer Dave Summit. Now, this is one you want to add to the Rolodex, and I really mean that. He's already been supported by Kreider, Wax Motif, Matroda, Drezzo, Golf Clap, and GTA. Our mutual friend Kasnowski introduced us, and I am so glad he did. In this interview, guys, I discussed with Dave his musical journey thus far, his production process in the studio, his musical influences and inspirations, and of course, his plans for the future. My man Kasnowski said it best. He's going to take over the world, and after this interview, I have to say I humbly agree. Let's get into it right now, guys. This is episode 118 with Dave Summit. Once again, cheers. I'd like to cheers you one more time, Dave. Thank you for coming cheers. on. I'm very excited to talk to you, sir. Like Me I too. said, uh, when I had Kasnowski on the show, I was talking about people he loved, uh, producers coming up in the game, especially on fraudulent records. You came up multiple times. So, you know, from someone who's in uh, Mikael's position and is reputable and building a brand, and he said you're going to take over the world. He said that. He said he's going to Dave Summit. It's going to take over the world. I got pressure now. <laughs> yeah, you do got a little bit of pressure. Fasnowski sees it in you, though. I think that's pretty cool, man. Yeah, I appreciate, I appreciate it. it. No problem. So before we got on air, um, you know, I was asking you, your first language is, is French. You're, you were born in Canada. Tell me about, you know, your early beginnings, uh, where you were born, where you grew up and stuff. Uh, I grew up in Quebec City, like the real, the, the main city. Mm -hmm. And I used to, like, when I was a little younger, like, uh, when I was, like, six, seven, mm -hmm. I started listening to uh, Linkin Park. Nice. Yeah. And I, like, I tried to learn guitar and it doesn't work. And, like, I keep getting into music more and more, like, hip-hop, uh, pop music and everything. Mm -hmm. And then I discover um, uh, David Guetta. Nice. And yeah. And I... Like I bought, I bought their CDs and I tried to make like, uh, I tried to go more deep into the style of music. Mm -hmm. And then I bought my first controller at 12. Uh, the Newmark IDJ with the iPod, like the IDJ Live application. Yes. yes. So yeah, I, I started playing with that. And then I saw uh, Ardwell at the Ultra Miami 2013. Wow. Yeah, I don't know, like uh, on uh, YouTube. Okay, I was like, you went to Ultra. <laughs> no, <laughs> not yet. Not yet. And, uh, <laughs> and then, yeah, I just like learned how to, uh, like I just realized that you can do your own song and like I start producing on FL Studio, I bought it and then just making around and like for just making like big room music, progressive yeah. house, like. In 2013, it was the main uh, the main style, and um, 
yeah, so I keep getting this and like four years later, we got this contest in, uh, it's in Montreal. I don't know if Michael talks about it, but the beach club. Yes. They, they do a, they did a contest uh, for the 14 to 17 years old DJs. Wow. Yeah. And uh, I entered, I sent a video of me uh, DJing for like 10 minutes and they take me for like finalist. And we had the chance to play at the 14 to 17 event. So I played there and uh, it was like the early confession, uh, confession blowing up like uh, Angels, uh, Bijou, yep. Belcour, like yep. all these guys. The, the Notorious by Mala just came out at this moment. Uh huh. So um, yeah, I played, I was the only guy playing like bass house. So I, I got the little step in front because all the guy was playing like Martin Garrix. And yeah. all these styles, so right. it makes. I think it makes me like a little like a different yeah. from the group. So I think it helps because they asked me to play for Kezo like a month after or two. So that was my first like Dave submit in front of the of real people and like real party and real like real business. Yeah, absolutely. So so, so 12 years old, you got your first controller. Yeah. Did you grow up in a town, like, I mean, you said David Guetta, you watched Hardwell, like, did you have any friends that were, you know, DJs or liked electronic music, or did your parents like it? Like, how did that actually come into play for you? Uh, I don't know, I've just been, like, since I'm young into music and just, like, discover and, like, trying to learn how and why they make the song and uh, uh -huh. where it came from, and, yeah, but I got, uh, I got a friend... Uh, Michael talks about it, Kellyux. Yeah. He lives like uh, near us too. So uh, I went there a couple of times and he teach us a little bit like how's the, how to produce and how to DJ. So mm -hmm. it helps a lot. And I watched a couple of, uh, couple of tutorials online, try to, try to help. But uh, yeah, it's pretty much like just, uh, just searching for music and then ended, ended up ending up uh seeing electronic music and just fell in love with it absolutely how old are you now dave i'm 19 19 so it's, it's been a seven year journey right it's gone by pretty fast i'm assuming yeah yeah <laughs> i mean i'm turning uh, 20 in a month all right so like a little bit late <laughs> you know it's crazy i was going to ask you about beach club but i'm sure you know in america there's no 14 15 year old djs that are actually playing at venues and stuff so I think that's really cool, man. And that's one thing I really like about uh, Canadian culture, you know, from learning from Michael and other DJs that I've talked to and that I follow. Um, it's really just like a, a core component, just like kind of the, the entertainment scene in Canada compared to the United States. People get involved at a younger age. I mean, look at you now, you know, you're having a lot of success and that's because you started at 12. So you had three to four years to get better and better, right? Yeah. And I got lucky because when I was in high school, I kind of hit a wall. Like, uh, I don't know, we see, it, we see it often, but like people sharing music, like not finished and everything on social media. And it kind of take down the, the brand of the project. Yeah. But when I was at high school, I used to like share my mix on Facebook and like show them how I was producing, but it, it was trash. <laughs> <laughs> so like the people get like, make fun of it 
and then I just like keep I put it aside and just like making music on my own and just didn't share it until like I start Dave Summit uh, three years ago. Absolutely. So three years ago, you were 16 years old. So from 12 to 16, you waited, you made music, you got better at DJing. Do you remember the reason or the moment when you said, okay, I'm going to start this project. I'm going to put myself out there. Do you remember why you did it at that moment? Uh, it was from the, for the contest. The beach club contest okay gotcha like yeah i really knew at this point like all right i gotta i gotta try it yeah I gotta put it in front and just show uh, show what the four years of work i've done mm-hmm. and yeah it's pretty much at this moment and then it just keep getting getting and i i met michael after that and justin our manager uh-huh. and yeah it's just like building up and now we're here that's awesome. What a, what, a, what a great start to your story, man. And, and I want to talk about, you know, kind of where you went from, let's just say, in between Beach Club and now. Were you always making music, you know, from a, from a unique perspective? You said FL Studio, right? Like, what type of music did you start making compared to where you're at now? You said trash. Was it always bass house? Was it always G house? What was kind of your style growing up? It was more uh, like the big room. I was trying to get on Revealed, the yeah. Artwell label, and uh, try to know. Like I want to, I try to be this this guy, but yeah. then I realized that you you have to be the guy that people want to be. I don't know if it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, you can't so, be. You can love Hardwell and Danik and Dyro, right? Those were the three yeah. that were revealed, right? Hey, I'm I I couldn't agree more with you because I did the same thing. I started DJing in uh, 2013, 2014, kind of in a similar situation as you, behind closed doors, so to speak. And I loved Hardwell and I loved that energy. And I realized the same thing as you. If you try and copy other people, people are not gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna end up not being who you're meant to be, right? Yeah, exactly. I love that. Yeah. I so, see a lot of people now these days, like, trying to be chummy. Yeah. But, like, He's already like there. You can, they're 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 never gonna be like too chummy. No, no, hundred percent. Same thing with Mala. And I think that's probably one of the things about the music industry that, you know, is a double-edged sword, right? While yeah. it's great to see people like Chami and Mala who really took house music and bass house to more of a mainstream level, especially Chami, you know his type of drops, his type of music with his vocals combines radio friendly with that underground vibe, right? I mean, yeah, exactly. He's huge, man. But it didn't happen overnight. And it's going to be a similar thing, I feel like, for you and Kastnowski's because you guys have your sound. And while you're having success now, you've always been going on an uphill climb, right? You haven't had a lot of downs. It's always been Here's the music we're making. People will eventually hear it and they're going to like it. And that's who we are and that's the music we like to produce, right? Exactly. I love that, yeah. man. So tell me, tell me more about your production style. Obviously, you've got, um, you know, I would say in the same realm as Kasnowski, a G house, tech house, bass house, even a little electro. Um, I got to tell you, I was listening back through all your songs today. And my jaw was dropping because it had been a little while. And we'll get into some of the other releases. But tell me in your in your eyes, what would you define as your sound, Dave? 
I try to get into like uh, the middle between tech house and base house. Uh huh. Like not like the uh, Fisher tech house, but not right. like the uh, uh, example Chami base house. Like right. just the middle. Like it's still tech house, but it's like it's more like pumping like base house. Yeah. I don't know if it makes sense. Like just like harder tech house maybe. I like that. And you know, when I was listening, just from producer to producer here, your your kicks are very powerful. Very, you know, a big, a big hollow tech house kick with a nice bass house uh baseline. And yeah, exactly. I, yeah. I hey, I, I love and that's why I love it, man, is because I do see you incorporating multiple different aspects of what most people would just call house music, right? Yeah. So it's I love that. I used to call it like tech bass, but it's more like it's the better way to explain it. No, <laughs> so, I think that's great actually. Tech bass. Tech bass. It's the mix of both. It is a mix of both, and that's the beauty of music production. We can make anything we want to, right? Yeah, exactly. I love that. So let me let me ask you some questions about you know your actual workflow process. Obviously, again, producer to producer, you can go in the studio, one day you make the best track of your life in six hours. Other times it can take three to six months, even longer. Do you have, now that you've been doing this for seven plus years, a process when you go into the studio to make a new track? Or what does that look like for you from a timeline? Uh, usually like a normal a nor normal day, like I will sit, I will listen to a couple of songs just to get inspired. Yep. Just get some ideas. And then I just... I have my template on FL that I like. I used to work with, and I just like keep keep uh, keep uh, like a, I just keep using every yeah. time. Yeah. And then I just place like my already have like my kick, but I change it like every time just mm -hmm. to save time. And then yeah, usually I do like a song between two and three hours, and then I listen to it again the day after and do like mastering and just. The arrangement yeah but sometimes it can be like three days and uh, sometimes when it's three days it's i cancel <laughs> <laughs> usually like one day or two it's uh it's enough so you, i don't like to overwork yeah of course of course i understand that and, and i always like to ask that kind of template question because uh, i'm sure you've heard of mk mark kinchin before right and yeah. he to me is a guy at least with his remixes where it's different every time, but you're like, he's working from the same, let's call it, you know, a, a, a paint easel. You know, like an artist has his paint easel and he makes different things every time, but he has all the same colors. Do you exactly. think in a similar way, that's kind of how you try and think about it? Like you said, you change your kick, you change the melody, but you like the formation from a phrasing standpoint. Is that what you mean, Dave? Yeah, exactly. That's the best picture of it. I like that. I didn't mean to answer the question for you. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's exactly. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it's obvious that you have your style and you've been supported by Kreider, Wax Motif, Matroda, Drezzo, Golf Clap, GTA. I mean, come on, man. You're 19 years old. Like, props to you, sir. I, I, you. I, I really do mean that. That's awesome. Um, for those that are listening out there, maybe from a, an international perspective or even from the United States, how have you gotten your music in the hands of those people? And what's that been like for you when they actually play your music? How does that feel? It feels like it's just like a tap of the shoulder. Like just, <laughs> it's okay, I'm doing the right things. Yes. Like it's in the, 
but I don't like to like I explain it to someone this weekend like I don't like to to say it that way but the pandemic helps a lot yeah sure like they like for example wax uh, I met him last year at escapade in mm -hmm. Ottawa mm -hmm. and he uh, we just exchanged the the mail address mm -hmm. and since then I was sending him music and sometimes I got a review sometimes just didn't listen sure but since the pandemic he started listening every like every song he keeps yeah. he started playing it in his uh, live stream on Twitch and just like same thing for for everyone like Matriota Drizzle, I used to. Drizzle was the first person that I sent him music like uh, back in the days. Uh huh. So just keep sending, but like Kreider and Matroda, Wax, same thing. Yeah. It's like they they have time now, so they they listen and they need new music every time for their live stream. So. Yeah, that's true. That's basically. That's. I saw the 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 post on sorry. <laughs> I saw the post on the. On Instagram, like sending send music for uh, Divided Souls and send music for Terminal Underground. Mm -hmm. And I just said it there, like I saw it on the, the Instagram story, and I got a I got a reply like the day after, and they play it. Wow, and Dave, are you sending them unreleased music or music you've already released? Unreleased. Unreleased. So you've got a lot of unreleased under your belt, don't you, right now? Yeah. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. It's okay to smile, my man. I know you do. <laughs> yeah, I have a lot. I sent them unreleased music because I knew they they had label and they they wanted to like start releasing other artists' music. Mm -hmm. So I sent in, like bunch. I sent in like three, three or four unreleased music, and they. I can't say what's the result, but. Oh, <laughs> that's good news, though, my man. I love. Oh I yeah. Love that. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about, though, man. You know, Michael said something similar to me. And and uh, again, I, I just want to acknowledge you guys for really staying true to your sound. And I think it's going to really pay off here in the next year or two. And, and like you said, I think it's OK to say, hey, the pandemic's happening. And that's terrible, of course. And so many people are being negatively affected. But I think it's given a lot of people, especially big DJs, time to really look at themselves and give a chance to those up-and-comers where normally they wouldn't have time. So I, I, I support you on that statement, sir. I really do. I appreciate it. Yeah. And I saw that, like, I realized, like, and I saw that other people around, like, in Montreal and everything, mm -hmm. like, during this time, I think the, the most, the, the most you can do is just, like, get the better out of it. So when everything, like, if it stopped one day and we get back to like festivals and everything, just you're not at the same step when as when the pandemic start. Like you're a step ahead and of like people who don't who didn't work during this time. Yeah, absolutely. That's what I try to do. I agree, man. I love you guys. I love your work ethic, and I feel the same way too. Um, I, I had a, a recent video that I put out where I was talking about. Again, while it is is unfortunate for so many, it's a time that we can all consider ourselves on the bench, right? This is the off season for once in a lifetime. The whole music industry is on the bench. And there's going to be people who don't practice in the off season. And there's going to be people who do practice in the off season, right? Yeah. And I think That's that practice makes perfect, man. And when it all comes down to it, people like you are going to have that music ready to go. So I love that, man. That's funny because that's the 
that's the exact exact same thing that I that I taught because I used to play uh, hockey and basketball. Uh huh. And like during the um, like hockey during winter, so like during the summer, I went to like hockey camp and just like it's not because it's over that the season is over that you need to stop. Like yes. So you come back the season after and just like a step ahead of people who didn't work. So I thought of it like that and that's what I did with the with music this time. I love that, Dave. I'm in I'm in the same mindset as you there, man. Now yes, I want to ask you about your collaboration. You know, we've talked about it a few times here, Kasnowski, the rhythm. Yeah. Released on Dr. Fresh, the remedy. And for those that don't know, it's a subsidiary of Insomniac Records. Insomniac, of course, is debatably the biggest festival company in the entire world, headed by Pasquale Rotea, one of the most notorious people in EDM. What a huge release for you. I would say it's maybe your biggest release so far. Would you agree? So far, yes. So far. Tell me about what it was like to release on a guy who truly is, I would say, I don't want to assume, but an influence for you, right? Dr. Fresh. I mean, Michael yeah. said it, So what was it like for you to release on a guy's like that label, man? I don't know how to like how to explain it. It's like <laughs> it's, it's it's like our hero, like uh, like Wax and Matrola. Like it's people have been watching for years, and I used to like when I started making uh, Bass House and G House. I was like playing playing Ello from Doctor Fresh and Bijou. Yes. And uh, like the whole Wax motif, like that song. Uh, wow. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> it still sounded good. Yeah, of course. And like, uh, yeah, Matroda in the beginning when you play like a ghetto, uh, I don't remember the title, but yeah, and wax with the uh, fly kicks and everything. So yeah. it's just like seeing people who you, you used to watch grow and used to watch play everywhere. And now they, they like what you do and they sign it. It's uh, like I said, it's a good tap on the shoulder and it's, and it's a good sign you're doing something great for, uh, for yeah. music. I love that, man. And, and again, you know, congratulations to you guys on that release. That's absolutely huge. Thank you. You know, if, if this is the if that is the answer to this next question, I would respect it. But Dave, across all of your hundred thousands, hundreds of thousands of plays, what is your favorite track that you've ever produced? I'm not sure I've made I make it yet. I made it yet. Yeah? Yeah, I'm not like I love them, but like once they have, once once they came out, I like I listened to it and like damn, I got like a better, I, I got a better song like coming next. And yeah. then like the day after, I went into the studio and it like it just keep getting better and like I'm not I I don't have one in particular that I like I I love uh, more than the others, mm-hmm. but I have one that I came out like in 2018 called Too Late. Yep. And it's not the best song, but <laughs> I made it like uh, I was in a, it's a long story, but I was in Toronto for a music school uh-huh. and I was like in a little bedroom at the, where I was. Mm-hmm. And I got this project that I made like the summer, the summer, the year before. Mm-hmm. And I just started like playing around and everything and just like, in one hour or two, it was like the entire project was down. So <laughs> and people still playing it. Like in Montreal, people go crazy with with it. Like I love that. I, I didn't understand why, but like they, they love it. So hey, 
whenever you're playing at Tomorrowland at the Bijou Do Not Duplicate stage, you better open up with that, okay? With too late. Yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking about doing a too late 2.0. Yeah. To make it like a next level, but. I, I, I resonate with that uh, a lot, Dave. I know um, it takes a long time, you know, especially you, you send it to your friends for feedback, a track that you think is good, and you thought it was done, and they tell you something, and you go back, and then you release it, and you're like, I got to get this off my plate, right? It's almost like I feel like people that don't produce music don't fully understand or appreciate, like, how long we might work on something, and then we release it, and it's really hard to let go because you go back so many times and think, That's not yeah. right. I could use a little more reverb on that. I could use a little less reverb. You know how it goes, right? Yeah. But now I I stopped like sending my song except like for Kastnowski uh, because we live like 15 minutes away. So like when I go when I go to his place, we listen to music. Mm -hmm. Like other than that, I I I stopped sending music to other people because it's it just changed my mind when I'm doing this, and yeah. sometimes it just changed the vibe of what I was feeling for the track. So yeah. I just keep going with the flow. Absolutely. I love that. Trust your gut, man. Trust your gut. So um, Dave, I want to ask you a little more about Fraudulent Records. When did you get involved? I know you've had a few releases on there, one at least. Uh, yeah, but the first one was the... I, actually, my first release on the label was on um, Fraudulent. Like nice. in 2018. All right. Basement, yeah. Yes, that's right. Love Fraudulent, so, Yeah, it's an old track, but dude, and you yeah, guys, so. you guys went to Amsterdam and did an ADE event, man. Tell me about yeah. that. Uh, it was my it was my first time, but for the boys, they went like three times, I think. But mm -hmm. it was pretty wild, and yeah, we met a lot of people, like the people we used to chat with, like uh, social on social media, like the yeah. boys from uh, France, uh, Belgium. Mm -hmm. Even the boys from Italy, we, we just connect every with everyone there. And it was like one big party. It was very fun. <laughs> we were looking forward to go there uh, this year too, but uh, man, next year, hopefully. Next year, hopefully. I yeah. mean, that's really cool. And, and um, ADE is maybe the ultra of Europe on it's really on a different type of level though, obviously. Yeah, and the winter music conference, like the yeah. Miami music week, it's like the same thing. Do you think, I, I would say probably winter music conference is bigger than ADE, but I think that's kind of what makes ADE special. And, and I haven't been, so I don't want to speak out of the line. That's just from what I've heard and learned. Yeah. I didn't went to uh, but I'm not legal to go in club in uh, in the U.S., so I didn't went yet to uh, it. <laughs> but uh, from what I heard, it's more like uh, from for artists. Like uh, Miami is more for artists and like discovering new people, and Amsterdam is more for a label agency, and yeah. that's what I've heard. Because and from and uh, at ADE there was a lot of um, listening sessions. Mm -hmm. Like I know Tool Room did one, uh, Mix Mash. And uh, yeah, pretty much only for labels and, but we met a lot of artists and the artists are on the streets like we are. So yeah, it's pretty cool too. I know. I was supposed to go to Miami this year for Winter Music Conference for the first time. That really, uh, that really hurt. I won't lie. Yeah. That really like two weeks before. Oh my gosh. I, yeah, seriously. I was waiting for so long, man. I had money saved up, but 
you know, like I said, I try and be optimistic, and I'll be back there next year if it goes down. It, it sucks, but it is what it is, right? Yeah. Maybe I'll come to you. with you guys, too. Pardon? I think I'll come to ADE with you guys, too. How about that? Yeah, you need to. <laughs> I do need to, man. It's a yeah. special place. Amsterdam is is quite the place, too. I have been there before. <laughs> you, you, you went there? I visited there. I studied abroad in Barcelona when I was in college. I went to visit Amsterdam for a few days. And my whole time in Europe really changed my perspective on the world, especially electronic music. That's when I really developed um, an appreciation and understanding of the culture behind it, not just the music. And yeah. I mean, you know, in Canada and Europe, it's a lot different than the United States. The people that go to the shows and how they enjoy the music, right? exactly the the big difference here it's the um, like people came to the event but like only for the the headliners yeah or like if the support is big uh, big artist too but once it, once you when you play like for a opening set and like second support people don't show up no depends that like i play uh when i play beach club i was playing first every time so when the gates open and i got like 15, 50 people, 100 people. Yeah. But when I when we play in Europe, like the club just opened, it was full. It was already like almost packed. So yeah, you see the difference. I know. I it's it's really interesting, and I always think about that too because I think it has a lot to do not just with the culture of the music, but the culture of the people. The people in America, Dave, from my understanding, and I live in this country. I was born in this country. Okay, so I'm not talking down on it. People like to get fucked up here, okay? And they like to get as fucked up as they can before they go to a show. And I won't lie to you. I used to be like that before I started DJing. I couldn't see any reason to go to an opener that I didn't know who it was. Then I realized everybody starts from the same spot, right? If you're Chami, if you're Mala, if you're DJ Snake, you started as someone like Dave Summit playing... 14, 15 years old for 50 people, right? And those yeah. guys, those guys remember those moments, man. Yeah. And Europe and, knows that. Yeah, exactly. But people, people in Canada, but I don't know, like for the rest of the Canada, but I know in Montreal, they do the same as you. They do. <laughs> yeah. The, the pre-drink. Yeah, pre-game, pre-game. Pre-game, pre-game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know. It's like, the pregame goes longer than the game, and I'm like, this doesn't yeah. make sense to me, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly, man. I love that. I love that. That's hilarious. Now, Dave, I want to ask you, you were talking a lot about your sets. Um, you know, Escapade, man. What a, what a great opportunity for you to be on such a great festival. Of course, you mentioned Beach Club supporting DJ Snake. You've opened for Chami. Um, that's really incredible, man. For those that haven't heard you before, and they will, of course, soon. What would you say is your live style? How would you define it? My like for my sets or for like yeah your sets yep. I usually like like I told you I'm a I'm a whole I'm a I used to be to play hockey and everything so I have my like my my routine. Okay. Yeah, so I'm kind of by the book a little bit. So I came yeah. I came to the show like an hour or like an hour and a half before just to get in the vibe and just get in the mood. Yes. And yeah, so when I play, I just start like playing more. I kind of like to enter like a, 
a big like a with a banger or like with something that people was will like say oh okay it's happening like yeah. something's happening here and then i go like more into like classic tech house yeah i play music for uh, from my brother john summit and then <laughs> i go back <laughs> yeah and i go back after to my like tech base and then i like end up like slowly with like uh, i have a track now that i not really track that i always finish it finish with and yeah so it's pretty much like a, a little bit like a long roller coaster mm-hmm. i love that now you you started djing before you're producing so you must have a, a true passion for djing right yeah like not only for djing but for the connection and the crowd reaction like just to get chills from the reaction is i'll pay for for that <laughs> i couldn't agree more man I, I started djing before i was producing too and i think I think, you know, in this day and age, um, you know, there's no barrier to entry, right? For, for someone like you who's so young, when people I've interviewed who have been in the game for 10 years plus, 20 years plus, they tell me about when they used to bring their records to the clubs, right? And then everything went digital and all that stuff used to be so expensive. In the beginning, like Serato, that used to be really expensive. And now we just show up with a USB stick and I use USBs too. All I need is my USBs and headphones. Yeah. And that's it. That's it. And it's crazy because you could be 12 years old, 15 years old, 18 years old, whatever, and you could ask for it for Christmas, for your birthday, and your mom will say, how much is it? And it's $250 for everything, right? I mean, yeah, it's, it's expensive. Yeah, yeah. So compared to what it used to be, I think we're seeing a lot more DJs uh, come into the market now, and we'll see what happens in the next year with the pandemic. But I think that's why it's a great thing that you have always stayed true to your style, Dave, in regards to production, because there's a lot of DJs out there in the world. And I personally believe that there's an expiration date on DJs that just DJ. Yeah, we talk a lot about this with uh, Michael. Like, yeah, we see like, there is different DJ style, I think, like the club, the club DJs, the uh, restaurant DJ, yeah, the festival DJs, but yeah. and like the DJ producers and yeah, like the, there's a lot of style, but I think the the, the 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 people who produce like always have like the step in front to like play their own music and people know them for the music, so mm-hmm. can like sometimes just DJ can play like ghost producer and step two but yeah i don't recommend no i don't recommend either and, and i think that's why it's probably great again that you're doing both because you started as a dj so you know how to dj and now yeah. you make your own music so now you can incorporate not only your own music but you know where to find other tracks you've got edits that you could probably make yourself all those sorts of things and one thing that i really kind of try and pride myself on is being a fan first you know, like I said, when I used to go to the shows and that sort of thing. Same thing. Right? Yeah. You, know what I mean. you know what I mean. Yeah. That's what it's all about, man. And, and I think it's so important to understand the process of what it's like to get to be a big DJ. Because there are a lot of DJs who are really, really good DJ DJs. Uh, I think maybe an exception to the rule would be A-Track, who's someone who is a really good producer and also a really good DJ. But I would say nowadays there's few and far in between 
that are just really good DJs, right? And that haven't been in the game for a while. I would say it's probably harder than ever to try and become the world's best DJ and not. Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah. do people really care? Yes. But do people really care? No. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. It's, At the end of the one, it's the drop. The drop. They want the drop. Like the vibe. And, exactly. And the thing to consider, and I have a lot of good friends that I've had on the podcast that I respect and other big DJs that I know that are incredible DJs. They are unbelievable track selection, building the vibe, great direct support, awesome closers, whatever it might be, can play seven to eight hour sets and entertain crowds of all sorts, right? But it is hard when you are a festival promoter or an agent and you want to book someone who's a really good DJ and you know they play a good set, but are they going to sell tickets, Dave, right? So you got to yeah. think about the business perspective. If I'm a festival promoter and there's Kasnowski and Dave Summit as an option, I know they're good DJs, I know they're good producers, but let's just say there's someone else who's a better DJ than you guys, right? Not to say you guys aren't DJs, but you know what I mean. Yeah. I'm probably going to pick you guys because you produce music and people want to come out and see you play your music, right? True. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. I, I, and again, man, I, I think that's probably, you know, going to be your guys' biggest strength moving forward is your sound will define you. And yeah. we'll get you gigs and we'll get you booked and we'll get you noticed. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because in, like, in Montreal, there's other, like, there's a lot of producers and DJ. Mm -hmm. Like, they, they don't put their self, like, there's a lot of, There's some of them that put their, their self in front and everything, but right now, like, I think we got, like, that little step in front with signing with labels and, like, doing the little things, like, yeah, like, labels and just show, like, for example, like, Wax or uh, Kasnowski put, like, Valentino Can last week, playing yep. his track. It's like, I think this little thing helps a lot to just get out of the, uh, the circle of just DJs and... Yep. I'll book him because he's good DJs, but yeah, it's not a project. It's not like the, it's not a brand. It's just like a DJ. Yeah. Even if they are like, I'm sure there's a lot of better DJ than us. Like yeah, in Montreal, there's really good DJs and it's just like the project and the, like, I don't want to, like some people want to stay like in the, in Montreal and just want to stay like DJ around, yeah. but some other like just want to go like all in and just want to get the, uh, the best out of it. I don't know if I explain it well, but... No, that makes complete sense. It makes complete sense. It's, I mean, that's really how it has to go in the music industry. You can, I mean, and that's fine too. I know a lot of people that um, have reached a level that they're comfortable with and they'll likely be able to stay there for a long period of time. My thing is, I believe life is long and there's a big difference in having success at age 30, especially as a DJ, and age 50, and age 70, right? Like, I want something yeah. that I want to do. <laughs> Oops. I'm speaking so powerfully, the, the phone came off, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's hilarious. You know, I think if you want to do something, if you want to make a career out of it, if you want to spend your life doing it, you got to truly love it. So you got to think about, do I want to be that old playing that music, dealing with all the little things? Or do I want to always be the person that's making the music that I love and getting paid to do that? 
You know what I'm saying, sir? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think yeah. it, for me, it's, it's as simple as that is, what are you doing now? Is that something that you want to do later? And, and not everybody can answer that question, but, you know, to me, from learning about you, um, it seems like you, you know what you want, right? And it's produce music and share it with the world, simply. Yeah. Because it's, uh, for me, it's like a kind of, a, it's a part of who I am. And like, it's, it's a part of my soul that I put in music. So just playing music, like in the set that I made, it's just like seeing people react from something I made in my, like in my head and just put in work and people likes it. So yeah, just that feeling that defines, defines everything. Absolutely, Dave, I agree. Now, something I love to ask someone, you know, young or old, we all have our obstacles to get through. For someone that, you know, you mentioned it earlier, right? Like your friends had a lot of doubt when you shared your mixes on SoundCloud, on Facebook. Have there been any obstacles that you remember that you got through that have led you to this point? And how did you get through them, Dave, if you can think of anything? Uh, it's still happening, but the, the rejection from labels. Yeah. Just trying to get like the different sound. Mm -hmm. Just don't sound like someone else. Yeah. That's this that's an everyday struggle. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and just like getting booked. And like for me it was like a little bit I don't want to say difficult, but a little bit a little challenge because I was young, so but I'm still young, but like people don't take me seriously. Yeah. At the beginning. But now with the release and everything, people start getting like, okay, he's not, he's not joking. Like he, he wants to get it, but right. like it, it has been a challenge and I think it's going to be it for, uh, I think I've got to face this challenge a lot again, but just getting taken seriously by like, I know people like, uh, in Montreal, like there, people are like 50, uh, 55, 25 and 30 <laughs> and just like, oh, look at this kid. He's just, He's gonna play uh, Martin Garrix and everything, like yeah. Just trying to get like that. Okay, he can do this, and he can he can deliver. Yeah, I that's love a, that. That's a that's a challenge. That's that was a challenge more, but uh, before, but now it's it's more okay. Like I understand, Dave. Yeah, you got a chip on your shoulder because of that, right? Yeah. Yeah, I I again once once again resonate with you on a, on a high level. I've been doing this podcast. In September, it'll be four years, man. I think this is going to be episode 118, right? You know, episodes one through 25, people were like, this is awesome. This is great. So cool you're doing this. 26 to 45, it's like, oh, he's still doing it, right? And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, you get caught up, right? And whether you're doing a podcast, whether you're following your dream of being a, an actor or a music producer, whatever it might be. Most people don't keep going past the point where people don't support them, right? Exactly. A lot yeah. of times it's just you in the studio, whatever whatever room it might be. And I, it seems to me like you've had those moments, right? Yeah. It's still, I, I, was, I went to the grocery store uh, today mm -hmm. and the guy, I, I knew a guy from high school and he just like saying like, uh, he just asked me, uh, are you still doing the music thing? Yeah. Like, just like. <laughs> Where? Why? That's like, yeah. Yeah, I'm still doing it. Yeah. So. Exactly. That's the perfect example. Perfect example. And and of course, uh, you know, once you blow up, those people that see you at the grocery store are gonna say, "Hey, can I get tickets to the show?" 
Yeah. No. <laughs> no. No, I don't think so, man. I don't think so. I love that, Dave. Um, one of the last questions I want to ask you, sir, is once again, although you're young in the game, you've seen a lot change in the past seven to eight years. Now, obviously, like we've mentioned with the pandemic, kind of putting everybody on the bench, how do you think this will change the music industry going forward? I think the music's going to get better and better because a lot of uh, producers going to get all their time like in the studio mm-hmm. and just like not doing shows going to put like people more uh, like give more people times to produce more music and just get better at it so i think we're going to get the the best music in the next month like because of it but for the industry i i i can't really say like i i don't know what's going to happen like it changes every week it does changes every day every day yeah i agree i i completely agree i think um you know from someone who produces music for other DJs to play at clubs and festivals. And obviously with your genre of music, right? Like that's, that's energetic music, right? Like I probably wouldn't be going to sleep listening to Dave Summit. You know what I mean? Ah. <laughs> Maybe you do. I don't know. I don't know if you no. do. <laughs> I usually listen to uh, trap music and R&B. There you I go. never listen to, uh, to EDM in my car. Yeah. It's always like. Exactly. For, for someone that does produce that type of music with, along with so many other DJs, do you picture yourself or maybe others that are in your lane might make different music knowing that in the next year they may you may never be able to play it in a club or a festival? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah. Um, I know I know like one point of doing music it's to get it like um, along the years. Like yeah. people still listen to it. Yeah. I know, like, uh, September, like, do you remember? Oh, yeah. Like, this type of songs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> gimme, gimme, gimme from uh, Abba. Yeah. Abba, yeah. <laughs> Abba, yeah. <laughs> so, like, this type of music are, like, are still living. Like, the right. people are still listening to it. So, I think it's the point of doing music. I know in, in our style, it's more difficult because it's more underground. And for, like, most of the songs are better at, in shows than listening on their phone. But yeah, I think I think more pop music and like, ex- uh, for example, losing it, take out. I think it's one track that's gonna survive the years and yeah. make it like these type of bangers and like that change the music industry are gonna stay. We yeah. saw it with uh, if I lose myself uh, and like reload all these all these songs that past the years and people are still listening to it yeah and you're still playing the i i was in the festival last year and the guy started playing a uh, language by porter robinson nice and people still go crazy yeah they do so yeah it's it's amazing to see it's beautiful it is it is i think that's probably the best part about being uh in the music industry right is yeah. there are songs that you may not even mean to make that are timeless right Look at Alesso. Look at him now because of Lose My Mind and If I Lose Myself, all those tracks, right? And um, he still makes different types of music these days. So I think that's kind of the thought I always have in mind is although there are critics out there and fans that will say, why do they not make that type of music? Why don't they make more of that? You as an individual, as a creative, you have to let loose, right? And you have to try different 
things. And that's what I was kind of trying to get at, Dave, is, you know, maybe challenging yourself creatively. Do you think maybe that might happen here too? Yeah, but like when I, when I like, I keep, when I'm tired of the four on four beats I'm yeah. making, yeah. I start making like hip hop beats and R&B and just like a new vibe, like experiment, yeah. just to experiment the new, uh, what I can do, like what, like what what can I create? Like it's different from what I usually do. And I think it's not, it's not EDM. It's not something that I can play, but just getting my mind to do like something else. And for, for music, for like electronic music, I will just keep going with, like the new style, the new jar, mm-hmm. but the best option will be to create a new jar and just get people following me instead of following the trend. Yes, I love that. Well said, sir. Well said. Now, you mentioned in the very beginning of this interview that you have some unreleased music that may or may not be signed. Is there anything you can reveal? Is there anything you can tell us about what's coming for the rest of the year? Uh, yeah, I got, I can, I can say one. Okay. I got one coming on uh, Matilda's label in two weeks. All right. Awesome. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I got this one. I got like uh, one in August, two in September. And that's what I have so far. But we still we still uh, sending stuff and we got we got tracked like on yes or no. Still waiting for the labels sure. and. Just gotta change a couple of things on some tracks to make it for the label. So yeah, for for the moment it's until September, but we'll probably get things until the end of the year. That's great, man! Congratulations to you. Of course, thank you. These guys that you were influenced by, they're playing your music, see you, and they recognize you, right? Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. That's huge, man. Gosh, congratulations! And I can't wait to hear what else comes out because you know. Kasnowski said something similar to me and then revealed, oh, yeah, I got a release on Confession coming. I'm like, oh, yeah, no big deal. Oh, he said it? <laughs> he did it's say out? it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he did say it. He did say uh-huh. it, man. Are you able to say it, too? For no. Confession? Yeah. Are you on Confession? No. Uh-huh. No. Uh, I got, what well, I sent stuff. They said, like we'll listen to chat we'll send it to Chami to listen, but still got no use. Whoops. That's so badass though. <laughs> you almost see the you almost see the Black Panther. Yeah, 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 I do. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Well, I know you're gonna I know you're gonna have some great releases coming this year and, and I'm excited to hear it. And this has honestly been such a pleasure, man, connecting with someone so young who's so driven and Again, I, I truly do love your music, and Chicago loves your music too, man. There's I appreciate a lot, it. lot of G House producers here, a lot of Bass House guys, and I told them I was having Dave Summon on, and they heard they heard of you, man. I appreciate it. Uh, it's a good tap on the shoulder. Like I said every time, but like it's just like it keep, it keeps us going. So yeah, yeah. of course, it's good man. to hear. Of course, keep doing your thing, man. Again, I want to acknowledge you for all the success you've already had, and I'm really excited to hear um, the rest of the releases you've got this year. And you've got a bright future ahead, man. So keep doing your thing. Keep getting taps on the shoulder, but keep your foot on the pedal, okay? Yes, I appreciate it, and thanks for having me too. Of course, Dave. I'll talk to you again soon, man, and uh, we'll be in touch uh, about the release of this episode and everything, okay? Yes, absolutely. All right, man. You have a good night. I'll talk to you soon. You too. See you, brother.